Um, and we like it. Um, so we, we believe that our children are part of the body. We want them here joining with us. And uh, kids, we want you to be a part of this. We want you here to, to hear the preaching of the word and, and to learn how to listen and interact. And, and uh, parents, we understand um, that that adds a little bit of chaos. That adds a little bit of crazy. And, uh, and we just want to invite you to embrace that. Um, the Lord is at work in that. He really is. Um, we're, we're through to the teen years now. It's easy for me to say, um, but I can also look back and see the times when I thought things were out of control and we're pulling our hair out and nothing is going right. The God, God was at work. The Lord was using that. And, and so even these times as we embrace them, and if you spend the whole sermon just wrangling kids, um, I think God honors that. And we understand it's a little more noise this morning, and that's okay. And maybe you got to take a kid out back or whatever you have to do and Hey, we embrace it. We're a family together. So this is, uh, this is live. Kids, did you get the fill-in? Um, anybody need one of the little paper um, fill-ins? Um, adults, you can have them too. Um, but I have candy for the kids after the service if you fill that out. Um, the answers are going to be up here on the screen as we go. Um, if everyone's got a fill-in, more importantly, grab your Bible. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. And if you don't have a Bible... Uh, Maybe you just forgot it. Maybe you don't have one. Um, We want you to have God's word in your lap, open in front of you. Um, Just a note, the red Bible's in the pew in front of you. Um, That's a different translation than we use. We want you to have one of these ones. And uh, and if you don't have a Bible at home or one you can read easily, take this one home. It's our gift to you. Love for you to have that. Um, Genesis chapter 24 is we're going to spend our time this morning. Kids, do you ever wonder like where your life is going to go from here? Like, who are you going to marry? What are you going to do for work? Where are you going to live? What house are you going to buy? Like there's so many possibilities open in front of you. We got a handful of kind of young, young adult, college age. Um, now those questions are like in your face. Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for work? Do I need to buy a house? Um, Adults, some of us are, some of us have answered some of those questions, or at least um, for a time, maybe you're still looking at what job do I do? I have options, or should we, should we move, or um, how do we pay for groceries this month? And, and the question that we consistently come back down to as we face these questions and face these trials is, what is God's will, right? Isn't that what we want? We just want to know God's will. How do I find God's will in this situation? Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to ask that question a little bit deeper. We're going to see um, an answer to that question looking at, at Genesis chapter 24. Um, Isaac is right there. He's in the middle of those kind of life decision moments. Um, who do I marry is the big one in front of him. He's getting to be about 30 years old now and uh, still doesn't have a wife. And, and, and so we have to watch this story play out and actually tells us a great deal about finding God's will. So um, we're going to read this story together. Um, fair warning, this is the longest chapter in the entire book of Genesis. Um, I actually sat down, my kind of practice is to write it out by hand as a way of kind of working through it slowly. And I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll write out the sermon text and then I'll go for lunch. And I found myself writing and writing and cramping and getting hungry and turned the page and went, oh, right, Psalm 24. I forgot. Um, So we're going to be 67 verses this morning, Um, but it's an easy read. 
this is, if it's not too sacrilegious to say, this is like the rom-com of the Bible. Um, we have the, the lonely young man. We have the serendipitous meeting of the, the beautiful woman and the, the tension that builds in the family and threatens. And then, of course, in the end, true love and happily ever after. So um, forgive me. I'm still kind of wrestling with my voice. I'm going to be sipping my tea and uh, hopefully we'll make it through um, to the end. Hmm. But follow along with me. Let's read Psalm 24 together, starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge over all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you shall be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Then he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me excuse me, success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your water jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels? Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out and with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. 
When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring wearing, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets from her, for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to use uh, the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels in the spring. He said, come in. O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I've prepared a house and a place for camels. And so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And so they said, speak on. So he said... I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was in her old age. And to him, he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house, to my clan, and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. And so I drank, and she gave camels the, the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. 
Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife to your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. The servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother who was, uh, and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and their nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the men. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening and lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. And so she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that is unchanging. God, thank you that um, you have revealed yourself to us and that you continue to speak to us through your word. God, Lord, open our ears, soften our hearts, that we may hear from you, Lord, that we might be challenged. If we have wrong thinking, if if we are seeing you wrongly, God, that you would confront us, correct us. God, that we would see your gospel more clearly today, that we'd see the truth of your grace and who you are. Lord, if there's anything I've prepared to say that, those, um, that, that is not true to your word, God, that, that those words would just not be heard, that they would fall to the ground and be forgotten. God, that your word would go forth this morning. Lord, that you would, uh, as you promised, be at work through your word, that it would accomplish all that it sets out to do. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this story, um, finding God's will, I think the first thing we see in, in verses 1 to 9 um, is, is we need to follow God's precepts. Follow God's precepts. We see this in the example of 
Abraham, and, and this is absolutely and always the first step in finding God's will. You, know, you, you want to know God's will in your life, or for any, any specific situation, you, you start here always. Now, kids, I'm sorry to use a tough word for your first fill-in. That's kind of mean. Does anyone know what a precept is? Kids, you want to just shout it out. What is a precept? Oh, boy. Anyone? It's a tricky one. God's precepts are his commands. It's what God's commanded. It's what he's instructed us. That's where Abraham starts. That's where we should start. Abraham is now an old man. Isaac is, is getting older. He should be married by now. No doubt they're talking together about finding a wife, carrying on the, the family. Where's this, where's this going? Abraham called himself his most trusted servant in the household. Um, this might be um, the, the man named Eleazar of Damascus. We read about him back in chapter 15. Um, remember before Isaac was born, um, Abraham says to the Lord, I have no children. As it stands right now, Eleazar of Damascus uh, will be my heir. Um, if that's him, he's fairly old by now, um, but he has been with Abraham a long time. He's a trusted, faithful servant. His character through this story is impeccable as you watch him. Um, we'll talk more about him in a moment. But Abraham is the weirdest request for his servant. You guys see this as we read through? Put your hand under my thigh. What? What is going on here? Um, Abraham tells him, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me by the Lord that you'll not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites. Um, now, it sounds weird for us, but it was meaningful for them. It was full of, of kind of symbolism and and and. It would be kind of like we would you know, put your hand on the Bible and swear something. It makes it serious. But the, the thigh was a, was a symbol of, of Abraham's future, of his progeny, of his descendants. And so they're looking at the need for God to provide for their future of their family. And so that's why Abraham sets it up this way. It would have been significant. It would have been a serious thing. And, and the servant obviously takes it very serious because he's not willing to do this unless he knows what the outcome's going to be, unless he knows what to do. He's not going to swear this if he's not sure if the woman's going to come back, because then what do I do? How do I resolve that? Um, should I take Isaac there then, is his question. And Abraham responds, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You will not take my son there. If she won't come, then you're free from this oath. But, but it's interesting there, Abraham's words are words of faith. Right? He, he, says, um, he says to the servant, um, the Lord who, who's brought us this far, he's going to send his angel before you. Um, God's going to do this. God's going to fulfill it. It's amazing. The last words from Abraham's mouth, that's what these will become. These are the last recorded words out of Abraham's mouth um, are words of faith. God will do it. Trust the Lord. The first words recorded out of Abraham's mouth we're back in chapter 12, and they're words of doubt. After he had faithfully left Ur and followed the Lord into the promised land, the first time we actually see him speak is speaking to his wife as they flee down to Egypt, and he's telling his wife to lie. Tell them, tell them you're my sister, because then it'll go better for me. It's encouraging, I think, to see growth in these Bible characters see Abraham is maturing over the years. He's more trusting of the Lord now than he was at the beginning. 
And at the end of his life, these words of faith ring out, telling his servant, no, no, God will do it. He will grant you success in this. Don't take my son out of the promised land. Abraham has learned. Abraham trusted God completely. He trusted God completely. God had told him, leave the land of Ur, right? I'm going to bless you in the land of Canaan. Go to this land that I will show you. And, and, and so that's what he's trusting in. I got to go there. God had also um, clearly laid out that he was not to mix his family with the people in Canaan. If you remember all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 9, we looked at Noah coming off of the ark and, and Noah ends up drunk in his tent and his son Ham sins against him. Now, it's a complicated passage. You can go back and find that sermon. You want to dig more into that. What you need to know for this morning is the fallout from that is that Noah actually curses Ham's son, Canaan. Right? Genesis 9, 25, Noah says this, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. The land of Canaan, as you might expect, is filled with the descendants of Canaan, the sons of Ham. They were known as an incredibly sinful, wicked people. They followed in the heritage of their father, Ham, and God had cursed them. They would be servants to their brothers. Does that sound like the, the covenant that God had made with Abraham? Is that going to fit together with God's blessing on Abraham? No. No, and so Abraham cannot marry his son to one of the daughters of Canaan. And so he sends his servant back to his family to get a wife from there. Why does he do it? Because that's what God had commanded. When you're looking for God's will, the first thing is to obey God's precepts, to obey his commands. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Like this is obvious. What does God want me to do? What has he told me to do? And yet so often this is ignored. So often this is overlooked. We're sitting over here saying, God, what should I do? God, show me your will. God, speak to me. And God's saying, I have. I told you. I've written you my word. Do what I've commanded. It's one of my favorite verses on finding God's will. Did you know the Bible tells you God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. There it is. There's God's will for you. Question answered. Problem solved. God's will is that you be holy. God's will is that you walk in obedience to him. No matter what the situation is, that's God's will for you in it, that you'll be made more holy through it. Theologians talk about God's will. There, there are kind of two categories of God's will that, that we talk about. Um, one category is called God's, God's sovereign will or his decretive will. This is the category of what God has ordained. From history past, God laid out history and future, right? This is God's plan that will play out. This is the, God's will that he has ordained to happen. You know the other word that we use for God's decretive will or his sovereign will? It's also called his hidden will. Kids, anyone want to guess why it's called God's hidden will? Because it's hidden. You guys are theologians. Look at you go. It's hidden. 
God doesn't tell us. Right? Even if you look at the, the prophets of the Old Testament, they spend like 98% of their time talking about God's commands. Every now and then, God reveals something future, but mostly they're talking about God's commands. Who am I going to marry? Where should I work? What house should I buy? This is God's hidden will. God does not typically reveal those things to us. God's sovereign will is, do you guys write it down already? Hidden. It's hidden. Do you know what the other category is called? It's often called God's preceptive will. His precepts, his commands. You know the other name that we often have for his preceptive will? We call it his revealed will. Why would we call it his revealed will? Because it's revealed. Yeah, God gave it to us. He told us. God has revealed his commands to us. What a beautiful thing. We spend so much time getting distracted and chasing after God's hidden will, often ignoring his revealed will. God, what is your will? Love your neighbor. God, what is your will? Forgive them as I have forgiven you. God, what's your, what's your will? Who should I, who should I marry? 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. There's a good start. There's a rock-solid foundation. God, is it your will that I should marry this girl who's not a believer? No. doesn't matter if your heart says yes. doesn't matter if your friends say yes. It doesn't matter if it just, it just feels so right. It's wrong. Number one, we start with God's decrees, and God's decrees are clear. If you're wondering about God's will, how do I provide for my family? How do I make ends meet this month? Should I fudge the numbers on my time card and bring in a little extra overtime? No. No, you can't lie. You can't be dishonest. That's not God's will. That's not the plan. If you're wondering how, uh, if, it, if it's God's will, boy, should I, should I work on my marriage or should I maybe invest a little more in this girl at work? God hates divorce. Work on your marriage. It's answered. The first place to look for God's will is in God's commands. We, we start there. That's unchanging. That's where Abraham starts. What has God said? And it doesn't mean it'll be easy. This makes it way more difficult for Abraham. This requires far more faith. No doubt there were Hittite and Canaanite girls all over the place, families who would have loved to get connected to the family of Abraham by offering their daughter to his son. That would have been easy. Instead, they're going to a faraway land, to a family they haven't seen in eons, trying to find a wife. It's way more complicated. It's way more difficult, but it's following God's commands. So first is follow God's precepts. That's number one, always. Secondly, Verses 10 to 51, we see the second step, and that's follow God's providence. Follow God's providence. The, the, the scene changes here, and the, the main actors change. We, we move from Abraham in Canaan to following the serpent into Mesopotamia. He took with him 10 camels. Camels are the most valuable of all livestock. They were not regularly used in that day. They, there were not many of them around. Um, and a bunch of these choice gifts out of Abraham's house. 
And he went to the city um, where Nahor lived. Nahor, of course, as we learned the, the end of chapter 22, is Abraham's brother. And Abraham's brother had 12 sons, and no doubt those sons have had some daughters. And uh, Abraham having Isaac so late in life, granddaughters is a good, uh, a good match time-wise. And this servant um, is a fantastic example for us as he just follows God's providence. The servant arrives at the well, and he stops at the well out of town. And, and look at his prayer Verses 12 to 14. He says this, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Notice what the servant prays for. This is not, it's not a prayer for the miraculous. This is not Gideon's fleece. Right, Gideon, um, God commands Gideon to go, and he puts out the fleece, and he says, if you really want me to go, let the fleece be dry on the ground around wet. And then he switches it, and, and God answers. It's not an honorable thing. That was a terrible thing that Gideon did. He wasn't trusting the Lord. This is not that. Um, this, is, this, is, this is not the, the sun going backwards on the steps for Hezekiah. This is different. The servant prays for remarkably ordinary things. Now, they're not small things, there's 10 camels there. Uh, I did a little research. Um, after a long journey, a camel could drink as much as 30 gallons of water in the space of about 10 minutes. The average water jar from back then, our best guess, is about three gallons. I'm not great at math, but if my numbers are correct, that's a lot of water. Somebody did the math. Yell it out. How much water is that? How many trips does you have to make? A hundred trips, okay? That's a lot of work. This is a couple hours probably. This is an amazing thing that, that the servant is asking for. But the servant is asking for God's providential provision. What does that mean? What is, what is providence? God's providence is his everyday control over ordinary things, Right? We say it's a miracle. If I, were to, if I were to hold my pen out and let it go and it went up instead of down, we'd call that a miracle. If I hold my pen out and let it go and it goes down, that's providence. It's not less God. God designed the world and he, he's worked through that. That's providence. It's, it's God's everyday control over ordinary things. The servant is asking for ordinary things. He's praying for a woman who is kind-hearted, selfless, hardworking, diligent, quick to serve others. He's just praying for a good wife, for his, for his master's son. That's what he's looking for. Lord, let the, let the woman who has these ordinary qualities of a good wife, let her be the one who is the wife for my, my master's son, Isaac. And then he watches. 
to see what the Lord will provide in this, in this ordinary way. Once he's confident, he's following God's precepts. I know we're on the right way. We're doing what God has commanded. Now he's just looking for what has God put in front of me? He didn't just wait around either, right? He didn't do nothing. He's obviously spent some time thinking about what are, what are some good qualities in a woman and, and how do I test that? How can I find that? And so he went to the well on purpose. This is the place where the young ladies are coming out at the time when the young ladies are coming out. And he had this test all figured out. What if I just ask her for a drink and see if someone volunteers to water my camels? That'd be a, that'd be a solid girl. Belief in God's providence should not make us lazy. Don't make us lazy. Don't sit around just waiting. God, bring it to me. The servant went out. He still diligently looked. He's, he's trusting the Lord. And the Lord did provide. It is amazing. Um, before he had even finished praying, it says that Rebecca was there coming up out of the, out of the spring with the, with the jar on her shoulder. So she left home a long time ago. God answered this prayer before he had even prayed it. God was working providentially, bringing these things together. Verse 16, um, we see there he ran up to her. Actually, it says he saw that she was very beautiful, so he ran up to her. Um, he's trying to help a brother out. He doesn't just want a strong woman. He wants a beautiful woman for his, for his son's master. And he asks her for a drink, puts her to the test. Not only does she offer him a drink quickly, but she offers to water his camels as well. This is looking good. This is exciting. This is what I was praying for. But then look at verse 21. She must have thought this servant was the, the craziest old man, um, lazy and weird and rude. It says the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey. She is working her tail off up and down to the well, and he's sitting back watching, gazing. Um, maybe this is the one. But that's significant. What's he doing? He's, he's watching. He's investigating. He set out this, this test. He has this criteria of what he's looking for in this young lady, and now he's examining her. Following God's providence requires wisdom. Requires wisdom. There are, there are two kinds of decisions that we make, two kinds of issues that we face, and it's helpful to, to divide them. There are sin issues and there are wisdom issues, right? If God has given us a clear command, if it's in, if it's in his word, then the decision is a decision between obedience or sin. That's an easy decision. That's a decision made already, right? Should be. But if we're within the guardrails of God's commands and there's still options ahead of us, then that's a, that's a wisdom issue. It's not sin either way. We're relying on wisdom. You've narrowed it down. There's two great jobs available. Neither of them are dishonoring to the Lord. So which one's better? You just need to apply wisdom. So the servant has set out this criteria. He's thought about what would, what would make for a good wife. He seems to have dropped, uh, the, the Lord seems to have dropped Rebecca into his lap. 
and, and yet he's still using wisdom. He's still sitting back and carefully examining. Um, once she's finished the job, he tests her again. He asks her, verse 23, please tell me whose daughter you are. This, of course, is the most important test. He sees what looks like God's providence. This fits his wisdom criteria. It looks like God has led me up to this point, but then he goes back again to God's precepts. Is this a woman who fits what God has commanded? God will never lead you where he's commanded you not to go. Again, seems simple, but it's one of those pieces we need firm in our mind. God will never give you by his providence what he's forbidden by his command. It's that, it's that simple. We never argue providence against precept. It feels right. It just seems like God is, has set this all up. I've heard the argument. I kid you not. I think God is leading me to divorce my wife and to pursue a music career. No, he isn't. He's commanded you not to. Don't do it. We never argue providence against precept. As soon as the heart is involved, as soon as you're fearful about caring for your family, something that you love is at risk, those, those lines want to get murky. But they're not. The simple truth is just so often thrown aside. We have to test what appears to be God's providence by what we know to be God's precepts. So he asks her, whose daughter are you? She responds, the daughter of Bethuel, who's the son of Nahor, jackpot. She's, she's ticking off all the boxes. This is what the servant has been after. And so he worships. Um, again, we see the character of this servant. Um, some, when they, when they meet success, it puffs them up and they get proud in themselves. Others, when they meet success, they look at the Lord and they worship the Lord. Blessed be the God of my master, Abraham. And Rebecca, at this point, must be shocked to hear that. This is the servant of Abraham. That, that long-lost relative that we had heard about who had gone to the, the distant land, never returned. So verse 28, she, she takes off. She runs back home. She tells her, her parents and her family about these things. The servants then welcomed into the house. The animals are provided for. They sit down for a meal together. This faithful servant, he's, he's not going to linger. He's not going to wait. He says, I can't, I can't eat until I've said my piece. I need to tell you why I'm here. And so he says to the family, before we eat, I need to tell you. And he starts from the beginning. And so verses 34 to 48, he tells the whole story over again. He wants them to hear it. He wants them to see uh, the commands of God and the, and the providence of God. And, and then in 49, he, he says to Rebecca's family, Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Let me know what to do. This green light or red light here, he's testing it again. He's asking her parents. He's laying the case before them. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Wisdom includes getting advice. He's getting advice. He's not keeping it to himself. It's real easy for us to, to hide away in our own little corner and, and we can start pushing things into place and making sense of things the way we want to see them. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We make bad decisions on our own. We, we, we see things that aren't there. 
We need help. We need wisdom. We need advice from others. Um, We're so easily self-deceived. Bethuel and Laban respond, what can we say? We can't say anything to you, good or bad. What that means is, like, this looks like it's a done deal. Right? God has, has seems to have put all these pieces in place. So, so how could we argue with it? They're, they're following God's providence. They're seeing God at work here. So often as we're seeking God's will, um, we end up praying for the miraculous. We end up praying, Lord, give me a sign. Give me a peace about it. Read one author, he calls it the, the liver shiver. God, I need, you gotta give me a liver shiver so I know what to do here. The reality is God normally uses normal things. He normally uses normal things. The servant is walking in obedience. He's trusting God. He's using godly wisdom. He's getting advice. And the Lord led him. The Lord guided his path. If we're seeking God's will, walk forward in obedience. Trust God's providence. Don't waste your time looking for riding in the clouds or putting out a fleece or praying for for some miraculous provision. Just, Just walk in obedience. Look at what the Lord puts in front of you. God's able to get your attention if he needs it, right? Like he's not gonna, you're not gonna accidentally walk away from the Lord on this. If you're paying attention, God will get your attention. You're not gonna somehow miss God's providence. Walk forward in obedience. God's not, God's not playing games, right? God's not trying to trick you and, and keeping things secret and hiding on you. We've all memorized as kids, Proverbs 3, 6, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's that simple. Acknowledging the Lord, God, I'm trying to honor you. I've looked at your word. I'm I'm trying to make wise decisions. God God will make your path straight. God will lead you along the way. There should be a freedom in that. Stop fretting and, and fearing and wondering and stewing about waiting for some kind of mysterious sign. Look at God's commands. Look at what God has put in front of you. Get some advice. Apply some godly wisdom and and make your decision in peace. That's how the Lord worked in fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Uh, I I think it should be good enough for us. Follow God's precepts. Follow God's providence. Finally, follow God's promise. Follow God's promise. Look at verses 52. 2 to 67. Now, um, let's, let's read this section again just to uh, freshen it up here a bit. Um, starting in 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry and silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave them to her brother and to her mother, costly ornaments, ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least ten days. After that they may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah, 
and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, oh, sister, that you may become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac. She dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, This is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and she loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is where it all comes together. Follow God's promise. The, the final uniting of this meant-to-be couple, as, as Rebecca's family approves her, her going to be married with Isaac, Abraham's servant rejoices, he worships again, and then there's this hiccup, this tension that builds. They get up in the morning, they're packed up, they're ready to go, and Rebecca's family, um, specifically her mother and her brother, start to stall. Hold on, wait a second, give us some time. If you're wondering, this is the same Laban um, that will keep Jacob working for 14 years for his wife. Seems he learned it from his mother. Laban um, was the one who saw the jewelry on his sister and then ran out to meet this wealthy visitor. Now he finds himself in a place of power. He's stalling, probably hoping to get a little more out of him. But the servant has nothing of it. He says, no, we've got to go. We've got a job. We're on a mission. Send us off. And so as a last effort, they call Rebecca. Let's ask her. And this is where her character really begins to shine. They ask her, will you go with this man? Now think about this. She's a young lady. Will you go with this strange man to a strange land to marry another strange man that you've never met? It's a big ask. She says, I will go. I will go. Doesn't know where. She doesn't know who she's going to marry. But she, she's heard of Abraham. She's heard this servant worshiping the God of Abraham. She's heard of how God has blessed Abraham. And so these words of incredible faith, she says, yeah, I'll go. I'll trust that God. Why wait? We'll go today. Amazing. Uh, one commentator put it this way, tomorrow's faith is just today's unbelief, right? To say, I'll be faithful tomorrow is just to say, I won't be faithful today. Not Rebecca. She says, I'll go. Rebecca trusts in God's promise. And so with that, the family blesses her. They say farewell. They ride off in faith toward the promised land. And after this long journey, may have been as long as a month riding and walking, they enter into the promised land. Isaac just happened to be out in the field meditating. We're not told what he's meditating on, but if I were him, um, I would be meditating on one thing. Um, who's this girl coming back? God, what are you providing? 
Where is this going to go? What does this look like? And he's walking and contemplating with the Lord. He looks up and there's camels returning. Again, camels are not a common thing. His, his father's servant is coming back. The same moment, Rebecca looks up and she sees Isaac from afar. She asks the servant, who's that man in the field? See the romance playing out here? It's significant that uh, the servant says, it is my master of Isaac. Now that Rebecca is on her way, now that Isaac has a bride, he's taking his place as patriarch in the family. And Rebecca took her veil and covered herself. Um, the veil wasn't worn regularly. Uh, it was a sign of engagement. And so she puts on the veil to say to Isaac, um, I'm your bride. She's giving herself to him. In this act, Rebecca gives herself completely to God's plan. The servant tells the whole story then to Isaac one more time, and you can imagine them talking together, laughing together. You did what? You made her water all of the camels? Eliezer, that's crazy. And she did it, and, and no doubt I, I, Rebecca is kind of listening in, maybe blushing a little bit. And then it says, uh, verse uh, 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He took Rebekah as his wife, and he loved her. That's the first mention of marital love in the Bible. Isaac is the only one of the patriarchs who only has one wife. He loved her. It's this beautiful love story playing out, but it's also much more than that. Go back. Go back to Rebecca's statement, I will go. This is an amazing statement of, of faith and, and obedience. Rebecca is painted here like a second Abraham. Not only does this, uh, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't take his place, um, but her faith, her obedience, is, it mirrors his. She's called to leave her country, her family, to go to a, an unknown place and she goes, she trusts, she follows. And look at what her family says to her, verse 60. Their blessing to her in their farewell, our sister, may you become thousands of thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Sound familiar? They have no idea what they've just said, but this is a, a blessing, this is a prophecy from the Lord. The Lord's final statement of his promise to, to Abraham was back in Genesis twenty two seventeen. The Lord says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. The way this language is used, it's reminding us, it's saying, stop, take a step back. Zoom out a little bit. Fit this into the bigger picture of what God is doing. This isn't just about Isaac and Rebekah. This story isn't just about a man finding a wife. This is God's covenant promise to Abraham. This is about God's plan of salvation to mankind being fulfilled. We so easily get tunnel vision. We so easily see the, the questions in front of us, the problems that terrify us today, the fears that get us in this moment Zoom out. Get some perspective. This isn't about you. There's a bigger story at play here. We forget about God's promises. Don't. 
don't forget about God's promises. And by that, I don't mean that God promises to give you a spouse. He doesn't. Or that God promises to to give you a better job or to make you rich. You, You won't find those promises in the Bible. They aren't there. But what you will find is God's promise to rescue a people out from the the penalty of of sin and toil and death, the promise to to remake a new humanity and a new heavens and a new earth into a place where there's no more pain or suffering, where there is no lack, no need, no hurt, where there's no toil, no frustration. We get so focused on our, our problems that we forget God's greater promises. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 6, 33. He talks about those who who have anxiety over the clothes that they wear, the food that they eat. And he ends saying, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. God will give you what you need to accomplish that, to focus on his kingdom. God was faithful. He was at work not just providing Isaac with a wife, but providing Abraham with this lineage that he had promised, providing the world with the next step in this rescue plan that he was playing out. It's interesting, especially if you stop to consider when this story was actually written down. When is this being recorded? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Come on, don't whisper it. Who wrote it? Moses. Moses wrote it. Do you know where he was when he wrote it? He's he's taking the people of Israel to the promised land. It's between the exodus and the promised land. The descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah, after the exodus out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, preparing to to enter into the promised land. And it seems to me that Moses has written this story in a particular way for a particular purpose. The story is to remind God's people of his faithfulness. Think about it. Rebecca is this beautiful bride living outside of the land of promise. Wise old Abraham sends his servant to go retrieve the bride. Those keeping her hesitate a little bit and then give way. By faith, she follows. She comes out of the foreign land. She's united to the son and he loves her. And she becomes the heir of all the promises that God gave to Abraham. People of Israel reading this are going, oh, this is our story. They had just been off in the land of Egypt. God sent his servant Moses to come and to find them. Pharaoh said he would let them go. Then he hesitates and and fights, but God releases them. Pharaoh said that um, that they would go. Finally, Moses leads the people out of the foreign land, and they're now traveling back across the wilderness to the promised land. Moses is writing this to, to encourage the people. God is faithful. He's made these promises. He's going to fulfill them. He's already shown what he can do. He's already shown what he will do. And of course, the book of Deuteronomy, the last book written on the outside of the promised land waiting to go in, Deuteronomy 18.15 has this promise. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me 
from among you, from your brothers. It's to him that you shall listen. And then the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the the Pentateuch, this is their, their last word before they trust the Lord going into the promised land. It says, There has not risen since a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all the servants, and to all the land, for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. God has promised there's one coming who will be a prophet better than Moses, and he hasn't come yet. They're waiting. They're waiting for a prophet greater than Moses, and for for years, for decades, for centuries, they wait. Someone who would rescue them, but not from a, an enemy of Egypt and slavery, but from slavery to, to sin and death and toil and suffering. Until finally, one greater than Moses would come, Jesus, the servant of God, sent by the Father into the foreign land to retrieve a bride. Bride who would display the faith of Abraham saying, I will go. Who would be brought by this long journey into the promised land, would be united to the Son and to finally and completely inherit all of the blessings of Abraham. The whole Bible tells this one story of God's rescue plan. This is our story. This is Christ coming for us to restore us, to make us his bride. And there might be a thousand circumstances where you'd love to know God's will here and now in some specific way. You'd love to know the will of God. We need to to trust in his precepts and, and follow his providence. But the most important thing, the ultimate thing, is to follow his promise, his ultimate promise. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's good and right to want to know God's will in the appropriate way, that we would humble ourselves before him in obedience, that we would use wisdom and trust in his providence. It's absolutely the the path to God's blessing. But but even in that, we have to remember, we're still in this broken world, a world of hurt and pain and sin. And and sometimes God's will for us will include these, these beautiful glimpses of his kindness and his mercy, his blessing on earth. Blessings that that come through obedience to him. Sometimes his will for us is a time of testing and trial through suffering and sorrow. But ultimately his will for us resides in his promise to us. His promise of eternal blessing in our eternal home. Those who will look to Christ and say, I will go. It's the blessing of Abraham. God's plan to rescue. I will follow. Wherever the Lord leads, wherever he takes, I will go. I will follow the promise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, there are so many unknowns in this world. There are so many questions that plague us. God, so many things. We just love you to to show up and tell us what to do. God, help us. Help us to see where you've already told us what to do. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to see your truth. 
to humbly walk in obedience. And God, help us to use wisdom. Help us to see what you've placed in front of us and to to walk forward in obedience and trusting in what you provide. But Lord, above all, help us to see your great promises. Help us to see our lives in the context of the gospel that you are working out something far greater and that absolutely we will have desires and longings in this world uh, that remain unmet. Some things that will go poorly, some times of, of suffering and trial, you've, you've promised it to us because you have a greater promise. You have an eternity ahead. Lord, help us to see um, your great salvation plan working out to walk in humble uh, faith and hope and trust in you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am holding on the faith